Good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. My name is Brent, and uh, I'm the teaching pastor here. It's great to have you here. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, uh, we are super thankful and uh, grateful that you would check us out. We're a church for people who don't typically uh, like church, and you picked a good day to come uh, see it in person. And I don't know why you came. Maybe you were bribed to come with lunch afterwards, or maybe you were listening to Kanye's album, and you're like, all right, if it's good for Kanye, it's good for me. Let's go check it out. Um, whatever it was... Uh, we're thankful for it. We uh, are starting, we teach in series here, which means we pick a topic and we uh, talk about it for uh, a couple weeks at a time. This one will be, I think, uh, five or six weeks uh, leading up to Christmas. Uh, the series title is called On the Road, <clears throat> and, and the subtitle for this series is A Series on Restless Hearts. And so we're going to be talking about what it means to be restless and kind of what we can do about this. And, and we've all been restless. In fact, uh, at some point, maybe it's youth, maybe it's ingrained into our DNA, maybe it's trying to find something that we feel like is missing, or maybe it's some sort of a desire for liberation. But at some point in life, we kind of all leave and we, become, we learn what it means to uh, be leavers or uh, perennial uh, leavers. In, in, in high school, we're asked the question, what's next? What's after high school? Um, and the answer, uh, you know, where you're going after high school, and the answer is always anywhere but here, right? No matter where you went to high school, where you grew up on, anywhere uh, but here. Or you went to your parents and said, I'm moving out, and they go, where are you going to live? Uh, and your answer is very similar, anywhere but here. Uh, or you go into your boss at some point, your supervisor, and you go, I'm done two weeks from now. I don't want to work here anymore. Where are you going to go work? I think you know where this is headed, right? Anywhere but here. Uh, because... We don't like it. We think, uh, you know, uh, life is uh, better, the grass is greener on the other side. And even though we've heard that phrase and that adage or whatever, it, it feels like, yeah, but maybe this time, maybe this, the, you don't really know how bad it is to work for this human being. It is atrocious. Whatever it is over there, it's got to be better than what I have. We, have. we leave because we feel like we're missing something and whatever that something is can't be found where we're currently at. We go on the road, sometimes physically, but not always physically. Sometimes we go there emotionally, but at some point we, we, we go in the hope of finding what we're looking for or at least temporary distracting ourselves from the hungers and the haunting absences that propelled our departure in the first place. And again, it's not just a physical distance sometimes. You know this. You can be sleeping in the same bed and be a million miles away from your partner. So it doesn't necessarily just, even though what I'm going to talk about today kind of focuses on this idea of on the road, because we love, we love movies and books that are travel books. We love the idea of escaping, of like this wanderlust, of being able to travel, and all the good road movies or buddy movies, and, 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 and people just living in a way that just, it feels like, oh man, I, I think that would be awesome. I think that that would be great. And the road doesn't disappoint for us. The road of life doesn't disappoint. There are billboards, metaphorical billboards, of course, along the way, promising happiness, joy, fulfillment, all of the things that you so desire. If you'll just visit this place, right? If you'll come and, and buy this thing or wear this product or drive this sort of car. And just when you think that friendship or wealth or family or influence was your ultimate destination, you hang out there for a while and experience what's called the law of diminishing returns. What once provided that love, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment for you after time uh, begins to like drain away a little bit, not as much as it used to be. And you think it's her and you think it's him and you think it's this, this dumpy old car, I, I've had this for two years now. It's such a, you know, uh, there's, there's fries underneath the seats. I don't even, they, they look edible, but I don't want to try it. And 
you, you think what once brought me satisfaction no longer does. Uh, what once held our fascination doesn't do it for me anymore. And it takes a long time to our, admit to ourselves this thing, but we realize ah, we've been duped again. But no worries, there's always something next. There's always another market to go to. There's always another promotion, another job out, outside of the country, another job this way. You know, this, uh, there's always Portland. You know, there's always Seattle. There's always something. And if it's not Portland or Seattle, it's L.A. And if it's not L.A., it's New York. And if it's not New York, it's Pasco, right? There's always sort of things to kind of build your way up to and be like, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. This is, this is the next place. This is the next spot. And we get there and we realize, oh, it's not here. We feel like that character that we used to play in video games. Mario, remember that? When he would be, build, he'd beat the whole level. You'd, get, you'd jump, you'd get the flag, you'd run into the castle, and who's waiting for you in the castle? Toad. And here's his message. Oh, our princess is in another castle. And you're like, ah, blast you, Toad. You do this to me every time. Foiled me again. On to the next castle, right? That's where she'll be. And you know, you know, at some point, the whole layout of the game is that she's not in the next castle either, but you have to go there to get that and to get you know, to the spot and whatever. It's a stupid analogy, but it works. <laughs> Fortunately, you start to look around and you see the promise of a new destination on the road and you think on to the next castle. Or we have this tendency to look back with like rose-colored glasses and be like, I remember when I was at home. Because what we crave is like we want to be, be at home somewhere. We want to be here, but we don't like home as it currently is, so we go on the road and on the road becomes our home. And yet, even when we're on the road, then we tend to look back at what, what, what we feel like was home for a while. Have you ever been to a, a Wazoo football game in Pullman uh, in the last couple of years? Don't cheer. They're like three and four in the division. They're not that good. So whatever. But you go to these games in Pullman, by the way. If you've never been to Pullman, imagine driving in a desert abandoned place for two or three hours, and then all of a sudden, two minutes outside of the stadium, there's a city, you guys. It's crazy. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, and you go there, and you go into the stadium, and it is fun. Like, they've got the cheerleaders, they got the band, the music, everything, the, the fireworks are going off. And then at some point during the game, regardless of whether they're ahead or behind, usually behind, but sometimes they'll play this song by Andy Grammer called Home. This is in the last couple of years, right? And, and the, the main phrase, it does this like, da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and I'm not going to sing it for you because I promised when we started this church a long time ago, I would never sing for you. Uh, but the words go like this, it doesn't matter where we go, we always find our way back home. Listen, I did not go to Wazoo, okay? I'm not a coog, um, uh, but I, you, I, it doesn't matter. You get chills hearing 17,000 or 18,000 people or however many people go to these stupid games. Uh, chills for them going, you know, even though the road has kind of taken us to Seattle, Portland, Pasco, all these kind of things, we, we, we migrate home. We're like these, we're like these birds or this, these salmon that eight times a year, we come back to this weird town of Pullman and we sing this song together and we're buddies. And we think to ourselves in those moments, ah, oh, these were the days, weren't they? Remember college? Oh God, that was the life. I was... I was at home when I was there. And we, 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 think, we think back so fondly about those experiences and this song and this environment. And you forget the other 350 whatever days of the year, how bland and boring and Pullman was and how all of these things. And in those moments when you were senior, if somebody had asked you, well, where do you want to go? It would be anywhere but here, Right. I can't wait to leave. And then you go to these games and eight times a year go, I wish I could go back. But then you'd be like this weirdo 40-year-old who shows up at, at Pullman campus. So you don't want, you know, that, you know that's not a reality, but you know, you do that. Our solution then sometimes to say is this, that the road is life. 
right? I'm restless wherever I'm at. And, and, and maybe not physically, maybe I've been in the Tri-Cities my whole life or 20 years or something like that. Like I'm, I'm not like this weirdo kind of traveler kind of thing, but, but we, 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 we see these movies, we read these books, we, we see the people who do this and we go, ah, the road is life. And if the road is life, if the road is life, if this, this variability in life is to be expected and what it brings the most fulfillment for us, then we're not truly ever uh, vagabonds. Uh, a couple of months ago, um, I saw this Facebook post come through uh, of the owner of Blank Space. You remember that Blank Space? It was like this event center out basically almost to Oregon. That's where it is. Um, and it's right off the freeway there. And it was like an event center that looked and felt like it didn't belong in the Tri-Cities. But that's where everybody like cool did like all of their different events, all right? And this owner, she had opened it a couple years ago and, and obviously has, has heard of Joanna Gaines um, and built it in that similar vein. And... Uh, and so you go in there, and it was, it was great. And then all of a sudden, it felt like out of nowhere, she announces that she's just closing the doors and that her and her family, it's been a great ride. It's been all of this kind of stuff, but we are going to go live in our Airstream and, uh, and travel the world and, and see all kinds of things, right? And her line in the video, at the very end of the video, was something along these lines. And I don't know Olivia personally. She seems like a great person, but um, her line was, uh, I always said, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Right, and I found out later that that's a line from a country song, so it's it's okay that you don't know it because I don't know it either because it's country, right? So who cares? But it's it's like this. It's like it, I I like that feeling. You see that, and there's there's a part of you that goes. Living in a van down by the river, man, that's the life. Living in an airstream, that's, that's definitely different than a van, right? We, we see this and we think we have this, what's, what's called, again, wanderlust. We, 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 we think we could do that. We think that there's something there. And I'm not judging her on her decision to do that. But there, there's something very, very appealing, especially for a younger generation, of that kind of a life. That's life on the road, and we kind of see it, and we crave it, and we love movies about it, and we love books about it. One of the most famous books about this kind of wanderlust sort of thing was a book called uh, On the Road by a guy named Jack Kerouac. You probably read it in high school, if you don't remember that, or literature class at CBC, uh, the one you slept through. Um, that, it's, it's a book that is incredibly famous for this, and, and Enneagram type fours and all of these wandering type of people resonate with this. They read this, and they think, oh, God, that's me. That's, see, I'm just, I'm trapped. I'm trapped at the P&L, and I just, I want to break free and go live this unique sort of life. And, and one of the quotes in the books, it's, a, it's two friends who go and do this traveling. One's a narrator. Anyways, um, they run into this guy who asks them this really in, insightful question. It was on the mirrors as you walk down the ramp this morning. Here's what it says. You boys going to get somewhere, or are you just going? Is there a destination in mind, or is the destination the road? Is it just life on the road? We didn't understand this question, and it was a damn good question. We didn't understand the question, but that was the point of what we were. Were we just on the road just to be on the road? Like this restlessness in this way. Do we tell ourselves, an insightful question in light of that, do we tell ourselves we're just going in order to guard against the disappointment of never arriving somewhere? Is it that we thought that this would provide joy, sense, fulfillment? We get it, we own it, we bought it, we wear it, we whatever, we, we date it, and then all of a sudden it doesn't bring all that stuff, and so we go back out on the road, and that's where we find resonance, and that's where we find excitement, and that's where we find the thrill of the chase, and do we do that because we're just trying to guard against the disappointment of never arriving? A real genuinely honest question for that, and I'm not, uh, as you'll see, uh, I'm not anti- uh, 
anti-REI. I'm not anti-adventuring. I'm not anti-Patagonia, okay? I'm all, I'm for that stuff, okay? But really insightful question in terms of life sort of stuff. So um, our, here's where I wanna go. I wanna provide us in this series over the next couple of weeks a guide who I think will be helpful in navigating this dilemma or this tension that we find ourselves in. Um, and the reason that we need a guide is because uh, we want somebody who's been there before to tell us what it's like. My wife and I just went, uh, speaking of Wanderlust, we went to Hawaii. We took our kids to Maui uh, last week. That's why I'm so tan, you guys. Anyways, um, <laughs> just kidding. It's the lights. Uh, and we, we on, our, our, on our very last day, we took them to this, uh, we went up north on, on, on Maui. It's the old King's Highway. It's like this crazy cliff. So you're driving, it's like one lane. It's super scary and super sketch. And we had heard that there's a blowhole that you can kind of park your car and hike down to. Now, here's the thing about this part of Hawaii. It's not like well advertised. It's not, there's not signage. There's not a parking lot where you, you know, pay a couple bucks and you're good to park. It's like you just pull over on the side of the road and there's like six inches between the white line and six inches between a cliff. That just, it's crazy. It's like nerve wracking. And we've got our 11-year-old and six-year-old. And so we, we park the car and we get out and I've, I've got like this trip advisor thing. You, know, you want to park at mile marker 35.5 and then you know, follow the, high, the trail to the right. So we're, so we're looking at it and it's pretty steep and it's pretty scary. And like a year ago or two years ago, my wife and I did a trip where we went down to this like same thing in Hawaii somewhere. And we, we found this like pool of water and we were like having a great time splashing each other with our friends. And then a big old wave came through and almost wiped out our buddy and took his life. Anyways, it was crazy. She's got a little PTSD about it. Understandable. So I'm saying we got to go check out this blowhole. And she's like, I like having kids. I like them alive. And so I'm, I'm trying to like be like, but look at the pictures. It looks safe. It's fine. And, and uh, so as we're walking down, though, I'm also like kind of nervous about that. So I begin to ask questions of the people making their way back up towards us, right? Like you do, because you're like, hey, so how was it, right? Uh, uh, asking them all kinds of, hey, is this, can you, did you guys go all the way down? Yes, you did. And then I'm trying to evaluate their body height, weight, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, like, Am I more physically fit or less than this person, right? Uh, what are they wearing? Is it okay to do with flip-flops? Is it safe for my kids? Is it safe for me? You know, all these kind of things. And then the funny question, the, the last one is, uh, is it worth it? Is it worth the quarter-mile hike down there? Is it worth it? As if this complete stranger would have the same value system that I have, which is, you know, ridiculous. Like, there's no way, even if they said yes, what would I, I don't know them. I don't know if, or for them, no, it's totally not worth it. Yeah, but maybe you live here, and it's not worth it to you, but I live in Pasco. There's not a lot of blowholes in Pasco. I don't know if you know that, but there's just not there. So we want a guide. A guide helps us in this way. So this is a series on restlessness, a series on restless hearts, and my hope is to provide you with a guide who has been there, who can tell you if it's worth the trek, if it's worth going down, and if it's worth exploring in this way. It's an invitation to, with a, to, to journey with somebody who will surprise you to the extent by which he knows you, even though he's hundreds of years old. The way that he writes it, it's like, it's like he knows a little bit about you. He exudes uh, the safety of an AA sponsor who says, nothing you could tell me would surprise me. Nothing you tell me about yourself would surprise me. And you believe him. It's a road trip with a prodigal who's already been where you think you need to go. And in David Foster Wallace's book, Infinite Jest, he writes about one of the characters and he says this, he's no saint. That's why he made salvation seem possible. He's no saint. Like he's been there before. He's got these rough edges. Like you see it and you're like, that's somebody who I feel like I could trust. He claims to know where home is for us where rest can be found and what peace feels like. 
from the inside. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring his teachings, his writings, his thoughts on this. And I know because we started this church for people who don't typically like church and we, we, we recognize and we expect, we want people who are like dipping their toes in the sea of religiosity or whatever, who, who may not, you come in with like, I don't believe all the same things you believe. Great. I don't even think I believe the same things that most of the people who attend. You know, we're all kind of different in that way, right? I totally get it. If you're not particularly religious, there's something scandalous, I'll be honest with you, about his claims. He'll unapologetically suggest that you were made for God, that home is found beyond yourself, and that Jesus is the way, and that the cross is a raft in the storm-tossed sea we call the world. So I'm just letting you know up front, like, there's gonna, like this is his claim, and you're free to not believe it. I, I don't think you're like, oh, I didn't think you'd talk about Jesus. This is a church, so I, I assumed you would think that it would come up at some point, right? Um, so that's in, that's in play. That's the direction kind of he is, is taking us. But I just want you to know, he didn't start thinking out this way. He was on the road just like all of us have been. And my hope in the series is to introduce you to somebody who might make Christianity plausible somebody like you. Plausible for somebody like you. That's, that's, listen, that's kind of like an unofficial motto of, of what we do. Listen, we know that there are a ton of churches. You passed a ton of churches on your way in this morning. There's a version or perspective of Christianity that's out there that hasn't seemed plausible to you. Like the way that they talk about things, the way that they do things, it just doesn't make sense. But I, I, I want to offer a perspective of a side of Christianity, a reversion of it that I think I, 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 we want to make it, I want to make it plausible for somebody like you. Somebody like who's been mired in the anxieties and the disappointments that the 21st century has to offer us. And that's not necessarily because you've been looking for God, but because you've been looking to find yourself. And I think in that, God would say, that's fine. you Find yourself, fight to find yourself and discover your authentic you. And in that, I think there's a piece that this guy would say, there's a God to be found in there as well. There's an invitation to follow a God, a, a, a perspective of Christianity that is plausible for you. Now, I recognize this too. We are a church a lot of times for people who got burnt from the whole Christian thing. Like we're a post-church person type of church, okay? So this guide might make Christianity believable for you, even if you've heard it all, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, whatever. When I say jars of clay, you say their first city was the best, grossly underrated, and we would both agree that that's definitely true in that way. And if you don't know who jars of clay is, then that means you're probably in the first category, and that's totally fine, okay? <laughs> Here's a Christianity to consider before you stop believing, especially for those who suspect that Christianity is just a cover for power plays or self-interest or whatever, or a tired moralism that seems angry all the time, or a version of middle-class comfort too often confused with the so-called American dream. And if the only faith that you can imagine is the seemingly outdated faith of your parents or grandparents or people who just, just don't look anything like you, he's been down that road too, and he offers us an option or an invitation to follow something different. His name is St. Augustine. He was, his name was Augustine, but he became a saint, uh, recognized as it. Now, fourth century, a little bit of a bio on him real quick. And listen, we're not a Catholic church. I don't believe in sainthood. I don't believe that, um, you know, uh, you can become, like, uh, uh, if I did the right things or did enough miracles or something, I could become a saint. My wife vouches that I, that's not even possible for me. Um, uh, and I, I, but I have, like, an honor and respect of people who've come before me whose writings uh, like his his thought processes, he was probably smarter than I'll ever be. Like I, I I can appreciate and honor that without falling into like this religious iconic worships of it. Okay, but Saint Augustine, a uh, little bit of a bio on him. By the way, if you text the word notes to that thing on the note sheet, um, I don't have it on me right now. But um, 
Uh, if you click the link, it'll take you to a bio. Meet meet Augustine uh, for the Wikipedia page. Just kind of verify that what I'm saying is true about it and all that stuff. Um, Born into privilege in the fourth century in North Africa, his father seemed to be concerned only about his education, his mother's overbearing, he was her only child, high hopes and dreams of a life he wasn't sure he actually wanted, perhaps you've been there before, right? Um, he moves, he, he's born in kind of a smaller town and, and based on his education, he rises to the top of his class and he thinks, you know what, this place isn't for me, I, I need something bigger, I have, I have way too much potential and uh, I want to chase after something bigger. He moves to the biggest city he knows at the time, which is Carthage, which is right on the coast there, uh, just south and, and uh, west of, of Italy. He moves to this big town, but before long, it begins to feel like a backwater town, unsophisticated provincial, a town not big enough for his importance. And he begins to think to himself, Rome, that's where I need to go. The eternal city, the, the capital, all of the stuff, all of the history, all of the things. And like Gatsby's green beacon of light drawing him constantly saying, over here, this is where you want to go. This is where you need to be. He finds a way to eventually get on a ship, boards, him to, boards to Rome, makes his home there, begins to set up shop, begins to become a teacher, a philosopher, a, a educated intellectual, offering oratory things of speaking and drawing an audience, drawing a crowd, getting people who go under his tutelage, making money, making a career for himself. And he realizes being in Rome, oh, I missed it. Not here. So close. Milan, that's where I need to go. Milan, that's where the seat of the emperor is. That's where the political government was at that point. It had moved from Rome into this other spot. Now we need to go here. We need to make this thing happen. I thought it was here, but it's not. Now that I've been here, I realize it's not. And happiness has a zip code, right? And at some point in our life, we've kind of felt this way too. Happiness has a zip code. If only I could get there. 90210, Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be, right? I promised I wouldn't sing for you again, but Weezer listened to the song. Anyways, happiness has a zip code. He spends 10 years climbing the ladder of proverbial success only to realize that once again, you guessed it, the princess is in another castle. He shows up in Milan. He begins to do all of the stuff. He has an influence on the emperor. He has all of these things, and it feels like sand once again, grasping for sand, watching it flow through his fingers, and when he takes a look at what he has, he finds out that it's nothing. But there's not enough cynicism, or there was enough cynicism, excuse me, established at this point to realize the fruitlessness of his endeavor. Eventually, he comes to define happiness not as a zip code, not as a place to go, but he begins to go, I'm far enough advanced to realize the thing that is going to provide me all of the things that I want is this sense of rest, a sense of rest, not like I need a break, I need a vacation, I need eight days in, in Maui or whatever. It is a sense of I don't need to be chasing, I can be at home kind of within myself, for a while, happiness was synonymous with adventure, with going out, with departing for distant shores, and escaping the confines of home. And he, rec he says, I recognize in, in his writing, he has two major books, right? He has lots of different books, but the two major ones are Confessions, so that's the one we'll focus on a lot on, uh, and then also City of God. But in his Confessions, which is kind of common history that it was the very first autobiography kind of ever written or published or whatever, um, he begins to write out or verbalize his confessions to a God he believes exists who is challenging him and, and chasing him. And in his confessions, he writes he, how he identifies so extremely with the story of the prodigal son. He goes, I am the prodigal. Like, that's me. I'm like the prodigal who comes home. He's like, I'm like the ungrateful son who goes to his father and says, you're better off dead to me than alive. Get me, you know, give me what I'm due. Give me what I'm owed. Let me go live my life in the way that I want to live my life. And the father who doesn't react with, you know, uh, 
anger or resentment or ridicule or whatever. Instead, it says, here you go. Remember that I'll always love you. Go, do your thing. Chase whatever you need to chase. Just know you're welcome back anytime. And then he says, and my pattern is to then take that, take that blessing, take that whatever, and I run and I squander it away in, in, in a dissolute living in whatever it is that I wanted to do. I did whatever my heart wished. And I end up with nothing and I end up with nothingness. And like the son in the story, I wake up one day and I look at my hands and I look at the pigs that I'm surrounding myself with and I look at the lifestyle that I've chosen and I say to myself, what the hell am I doing here? Right? And we've been there. We, we, he's like, he he's writes this, by the way, not as a, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think this is the human condition. I think at some point we all fall prey to this. This is the story of every being ever who gets whatever we've been blessed with. We take it somewhere because we want to do our own thing. We want to discover our own self. And we, we wake up one morning and, and life isn't what it was. And we thought we kept chasing, we kept chasing, we kept chasing, we kept doing something. And eventually we get to the spot, if we're honest with ourselves, where we wake up, we look at what we have and we think to ourselves, what the hell am I doing here? What does this have to offer me in this way? For Augustine, one of the best uses of our time would be to map out all of the different ways that we have looked for love in all the wrong places. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're keeping score at home, that is two country music references. And I don't even like country music. But we've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Disordered loves. That's what Augustine is most known for. If you, if you looked him up or you know, Googled him later on, that would be the big thing. A disordered love. We have this ability as, as, as human beings to take something that is supposed to be good, make it ultimate, and then it disappoints. It doesn't disappoint when it's only supposed to be a good or a means to an end. But when we make it an end in and of itself, we we put too much weight on this thing and it falls apart and we find ourselves holding on to nothing. And our only response to that is, the princess must be in another castle. Let me keep looking. Let me keep chasing. Let me keep going along. And he's going, let me just say, we're all like these prodigals who've taken what we've gone. We've said, you're better off dead to me than alive. Give me what I have. And the father offers the invitation, you're welcome home anytime. And we get to the spot where we go, what the hell am I doing here? And is it safe for me to go home? Is there any chance of me going home? And, and by the way, um, I mentioned at the very beginning, it's not just physical, it's also emotional. You don't have to actually leave Pasco to feel, or Richland, I keep saying Pasco, we're in Richland. Um, you don't have to leave the Tri-Cities to feel on the road. Like it's okay, it's, it's okay that you've lived here your entire life or lived here for a long time, longer than you ever thought you would, right? And, and yet you're, you can still be, I, I still find myself chasing those different things. Even though it's been here, physically it looks here. Emotionally, I've been along the way. Which, so he, he writes this piece. He says, one does not go far away from you or return to you by walking or by any movement through space. In other words, it's not a physical place that I go. It's not something, uh, it, it can be something. He, he says, basically, the prodigal didn't even have to leave his father's land to be distant from the father in that way. The younger prodigal son of your gospel did not look for horses or carriages or ships. He didn't fly on any bit visible wing, nor did he travel along the way by moving his legs when he went to live in a far country and prodigally dissipated what you, his gentle father, had given him on setting out, showing yourself even gentler on his return as a bankrupt. I had left myself and couldn't find me. I turned myself into a famished land that I had to live in. So the invitation, he says, is as a guide, as somebody who's been here before, let me tell you that it's okay to go home. Have you, and he's trying to push his audience, his readers, 
us in, in perpetuity, us thousands of years later, 1,600 years later, have you ever asked yourself the question of what it would be like to go home, to find rest, to go to God as a position of rest, not as another option of, well, maybe this will fix the things that I think are broken in this way. But how does one get home, and would I even be welcomed there? And he answers this question for us by quoting scripture, Luke chapter 15, verse 20, while he was still a long way off. One of our favorite verses here at East Lake, by the way. We don't have like a lot of like theme verses. You're not going to like walk down the hall and see like, go ye into all the world. Like, we just don't do that. But there are churches that do that. We just don't. But this would be one. If, if you could say, what would be like a core thing? Well, we want to be a church for people who don't typically like church. We want to be the one, the, the best option for somebody who's like, it just doesn't mean anything to me, um, for them to come back and see something. And in that moment, here is the God who is waiting for you in anticipation. While he was long, still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. As Augustine would say, not tapping his shoe on the inside of the door, just waiting for that door handle to twist, being like, oh, wait till he hears me, Right? crawling across the threshold of the, of the door in shame, you know, waiting to be judgmental. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And it's not in scripture, but it's almost as if the mother can be overheard over the shoulders, the hugs and embracing going. He walked to the end of the road every single day waiting for you. The invitation to come home, the invitation to stop chasing. And it's not just like, again, it's not physical. It's, it's, it's all of these, God has given us, I, I really do believe, like a sense of adventure, a sense of wanting to do these things. I think it's exciting to go buy an Airstream and do that. That's, that's great. And it's not that. It's what am I chasing when I do that? What am I really wanting when I want to be free? What am I wanting when I pursue sex to the level that, that, that I do? What, what am I really wanting? What is the core? What, why do I take these, these desires, these cravings that I have as a human being, and I put an undue amount of weight on them, and they continually dissatisfy, and they continually under-deliver for me? And what am I going to do? Now that I've, I'm old enough to realize that that's a dumb route, what are my options? So this, this last week when we were in, the, uh, in Maui, I was floating, my, it was my parents and all my sisters and their families and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, it was the very last day and I'm out um, with my dad, uh, just watching the kids, making sure that they're not getting taken out by waves. Uh, and we're just floating, we're just bobbing. And we had spent uh, seven or eight days already in, in Maui. And you know, you get those feelings when you go to places like that, you, you, you get the feeling like, I could live here. Do you know what I mean? Like. A, I'm not moving there, don't worry, but like you get the sense that someday we, we could, right? And Kylie's like, we're not doing that. And I'm like, well, I could, and you could come visit or something like that. I don't know how that would work, but we could figure this out. So my solution was to then convince my dad, hey, you should buy a place down here. He's 63, he's like on this verge, he's got this plan for retirement, which is great, and, and he's moving towards that season of his life. And I said, this would be great. Why don't you, because he owns a rental property in South Kennewick or East Kennewick or whatever, and I'm like, you should sell that. You should, I'm like his financial advisor. I also have an in on it, right? So like, I'm like, you should sell that because that doesn't benefit me at all. I never go there. So, and buy a place here and then come and visit here and then you could also let your kids stay here for free or something like that. I don't know. I'm trying to guide him into this, right, without being overtly out there. 
And I'm trying to sell it as you could live here. Like, think about living here. <clears throat> and he looked at me as, and he goes, as much fun as I've had on these last eight days, I could never live here. It would lose its allure to me. And in the wisdom of 63 years of doing life, he's smarter than me because me being stupid go, I could live here. And I really think even genuinely as I'm sitting before you today, I could boogie board every day for the rest of my life and be perfectly content. But at 63, he realizes living here would lose its allure. The reason Hawaii is so fantastic is because it's an escape from what I'm normally used to, which is freaking sub-degree, you know, zero-degree weather in Tri-Cities in winter, which sucks, right? So then this is what pulls me away, and I enjoy this. But if I lived here every day, the ocean would get boring. It would be like, oh, look, another fish, right? Another turtle. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. He's like, you're young. That's why it works for you, right? But you'll get to that spot. The reason it works is because it's a means to an end. It's an escape from reality, but then... Alaska Airlines tells me I have to go home, back to reality and go get my kid again, right? So I'm back to the reality of it. And I understand, I understand that in, in, in a small way what he's teaching me and what Augustine is teaching me, they're teaching me the same thing. When you make something that's good and, make, and you move there and you make it ultimate and you think I could build my life around this, you're putting too much weight on something that's good but was never meant to sustain that much weight. You're putting too much stuff on this. So is it a critique against a, a, a wanderlust, a, a, that kind of a way of lifestyle? Maybe slightly, but more so than that, like wrap it up even, even bigger. What he would say is it's all disordered loves. For us, we, whatever it is in life, whatever it is that we're chasing, we have this tendency to put too much weight on that. And then when we get it, it falls apart. And we're like, why? Ah, blast again, the prince is another castle. And he's like, you keep doing this. Well, you're missing out on where it's supposed to be. You're missing out on the true end game. You're tr missing out on the true ultimate, the true thing that is worth your time, worth your investment. And he would say, that is rest. So I'm, I'm telling you, you don't have to believe him yet. I'm just telling you where he's going, okay? For the next five weeks, I'm gonna try and convince you that he's right. But it's okay if you're sitting there going, I don't know if I agree. That feels very churchy. In fact, I thought you were gonna say, Jesus was gonna do this. I, who's this Augustine guy, right? You, you kind of threw me for a curveball there. I totally get it. I understand. But that's the direction that we're headed in this way. And the beauty of Augustine for me is that one of the gifts he gives us is a spirituality for what I call realists, which I feel like is, again, part and parcel of kind of what I'm, I try and be about. Like, does this fit with my actual real life? Conversion doesn't take you off the road. It just changes how you travel. What he's trying to say is it's fine to, ch it's fine to like chase and live adventurous lifestyles and do this. And it's okay to live in Hawaii. You can do that, right? This is not a critique against those people who decided that Kihei is where I'm gonna live. It's fine, but it changes how you travel. It's a, a conversion or, or turning towards Jesus is like this compass that no matter what you, where you go, there's a sense of, I know what it's gonna take for me to get in the direction that I'm supposed to go. I know that home is not this. This is exciting, but home is different. This is really great. I want to do this. I want to be able to make money. I want to have a successful business. I want to raise a family. I want to do the whole things. I want to do all of that. But that's not ultimate for me. There's still something more that's ultimate for me. And the beauty of it is not only is it realism, in its realism, he mentions how difficult it is even though you know the destination, how hard the road is even once you know where home is. 
which is why he, can, he says this, and this is, this is our conclusion. This is where we're in today. Oh, the twisted roads I walked, which, by the way, is a lot different than that book that is about Dr. Seuss that, he gave, that your parents gave you at graduation. Oh, the places you'll go. That's like super optimist. And, oh, you'll, you'll do whatever you want to be. This is, oh, the twisted roads that I've walked. Reality says that this is, these, like, doggone it, there's a, there's a uh, song lyrics in the, on the mirrors in the way. It would be so easy to stay on the road if these ditches weren't magnetically pulling me into these things, right? If the road wasn't so windy, I'd find my way out of the ditches so much more often. Oh, the twisted roads I walked. But look, you're here, freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track, comforting us and saying, run the race, I'll carry you, I'll carry you clear to the end, and even at the end, I'll carry you. And even if you don't trust that that's true yet, which is totally fine, I totally understand that, I get that. This is the offer of Augustine. This is what he's offering to us, a rest that is truly rest, a, a, a new way of being on the road, not to pull you off of that, but to change the way that you travel, a new direction of the heart, a true a true, uh, a true sense of what the heart ac- absolutely or actually desires. So for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're talking about, and I hope you'll join us. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we uh, hopefully saw ourselves in some of this. Maybe it's been a season of wandering for us. Maybe it's been a, a, series, a, a season for us of, of restlessness in our hearts or careers or relationships or whatever, and, and we've never kind of put the pieces together that it's you, and maybe we just, we've never even thought of that, or even, even though this is presented, we don't even know if that's true for us. May you, in your wisdom, guide us. Uh, may, may we, with wisdom, uh, look at our lives and take evaluation and inventory of where you're taking us, and we, we have the courage to face up to the consequences of asking ourselves difficult questions and following the answers wherever they lead us. In your name, amen.